Ooh, just started recording. Perfect time to do a couple of swallows and clear my throat. Mm-hmm. Just give me the gross, swishy sound of waters up inside you. Um. And we just gargle. Welcome to wind. today's. Please do. Welcome to today's episode of our weekly show, our very popular show, Biological Noises. Um, this is the show where we make all your favorite biological noises. That you don't have time to make for yourself, because we know how busy you are. When you're driving in the car and you just want to, you just want to listen to something a little bit wet. Um, that's what we provide to you, the listener. Thanks to these new microphones we got from from Canis Media Inc. Actually, from, the, from Canis, HQ. Canis Radio, Canis Media uh, is like a big media corporation in the UK. As, so uh, we might uh, get sued into the ground for this, okay. but I'm going to keep Can it in. Yeah. It's staying in the yeah, air. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Canis Radio, my bad. That's fine. <laughs> So this is um this is a rather special episode of Be Positive in which we say we're sorry we're sorry oh. we recorded uh well I guess first off welcome to Be Positive Yeah we missed the transit that's uh, <laughs> we're sorry again oh so many apologies <laughs> hi Welcome to Be Positive, the Positive B-Movie Podcast. With your hosts, Fraser. And Louie. Yo. Here to say, we're, we're sorry. sorry. Yeah. So, we recorded a whole deluxe episode about the movie Demons uh, by, I can't even remember the director's name. But it was produced by Dario what? Argento. Lamberto Bava, right? Yeah, the, the uh, yeah. Uh, Bava Jr. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the less talented Bava. <laughs> well, uh, we're, not, we're not in the realm of making those kinds of judgment calls on, on B Positive, but... Uh... I think I just did. Well, anyway... We recorded a whole episode for you, and due to technical difficulties, uh, the audio was unusable. So that's sad. Uh, yeah, it turns out the execs at Canis Radio had sabotaged Fraser's mic. Um, yep. To test his will, skill, I don't know. Resolve. They, they work in mysterious ways. Yeah, as it turns out, they are actual gremlins. <laughs> or at least they have gremlins in their pay. Yeah, all the contract meetings I've been to have been held by gremlins in suits, though, so... Who knows? And that's not a thinly veiled thing. It's like, what I literally mean is like, little green-skinned, big old floppy-eared, bunny rabbit-looking things. You know, that burst out of the back of a Mogwai. Yeah, yeah. They actually send you a Mogwai uh, with specific instructions to water it at midnight. Uh, and then... Yeah, that seems, that seems like a trap. 
it does seem like a trap, but then they pay nothing. So, uh, hmm. hmm. We really need to review our contracts at some point. Yeah, it's too bad we signed hundred-year contracts. Okay. <laughs> Billion-year contracts like Scientology. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So anyway, we watched and thought about and discussed um, demons, but the audio was a little bit messed up, so we're not gonna foist that on you this week. Um, instead, we have a very special edition, um, the first entry into the Be Positive reading series. Uh-oh. Welcome to Be Positive, the reading series. Yeah, I'm gonna be reading you some things that I wrote, and I'm gonna be reading it to you in my own voice. I just have to get it quick. <laughs> While he um, searches through the archives, let's do some uh, uh, administration. Everybody sit down. I hope you're sitting. Um, please sit. Um, so on the next very exciting episode of Be Positive, we'll be doing the film Sabretooth. This is a 2002 film. Go ahead and uh, just watch it on YouTube, get yourself ready for it. Um, you know it's good if it's available like full length on YouTube. Yeah, and um, I, I watched it and I might not have much to say. So if you have any thoughts about Sabretooth, please tweet them at us at yeah. be at Stay Scary on Twitter. That's the um, one. Uh, what you can also do is you can send it by messenger pigeon. It might not reach us. Yeah. But that it is a, like you could do it. Theoretically. Yeah. Uh, other other options are messages in bottles, uh, smoke signals. Yes. Um, telegra telegrams. Um, Morse code. You know, Morse code. Uh, radio signals like a numbers station, maybe. Oh yeah. Encode it and. Telepathic uh, suggestion, yeah, or subliminal messaging. The secret. There, are, there are many ways you can you can reach out to us, but I would I would say probably the best Twitter at Stay Scary, Facebook. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you <laughs> want us to actually to respond, uh, yeah, yeah. The other the other ones we're still working on our telepathic communication installations. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it costs a lot and it takes a lot of health and safety training, so. It really does. Yeah, on the note of Twitter and Facebook, those are also probably the best places to keep an eye out for upcoming new podcasts. Um, we're busily working on some ideas, uh, maybe some limited run podcasts. Um, and you'll be the first to know about them if you yeah. if you follow us on that social meds. Yeah, we're also planning uh, a few special events just for Be Positive. I believe we might have a, a roundtable episode coming up at some point featuring some of our previous guests. They haven't been informed yet, but I'm sure they'll be stoked. <laughs> 
Yeah, this because me I mean the cinematic him. event of the year is coming up. Yeah. Neil Breen's Twisted Pair is releasing this year, and I cannot wait. And that is a very strange thing to say uh, in connection to a Neil Breen film because I, for one, can wait. Can you? Did you really watch can. the trailer? I did. <laughs> no, I did not watch the trailer, but I'm just going on faithful findings and how mm. no. I still can't watch movies. No, that, that trailer is going to get you uh, wet in mm. the mouth. My mouth is always wet. That's the thing about me. That's, you know, back in college, they called me all reliable wet mouth. Because when uh, you need a wet oh. handkerchief, I'll just spit yeah. right on it. Yeah. Mm. Yep, it went uh, But Yeah, also go check that out. Go watch that trailer and let us know what you think. Um, I think it's going to be another masterpiece. Uh, is it possible to have two masterpieces? Pieces of masters? When you're the master. When you're the I real human possible. Breen. The, the real Breenius. Uh, Breenius of the ages. Where's your fucking story, Fraser? It's on the fucking internet and the internet doesn't work. <laughs> oh no. Alright, so I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing, but uh, you can check it out on our website. Just because it is quite long, uh, it is almost 30 pages. So, what? yeah, no, it's, it's actually part of a, a novel that I'm, I'm busy writing. Uh, which is still in early, early pre-production phases of sure. novel writing. Uh, <laughs> But I'm getting there. It's a beta Sorry, novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, early backers get the words first, I guess. This is the new model for literature, folks. We're taking books into the internet age. We're doing it. We're, we're doing it. This is well, the steamification of books. I, I feel like that's already happened with the Kindle. But anyway. Uh... That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about this thing that I wrote. Okay. Editor Fraser, cue the spooky music. Yucky had a hell of a month behind him, having just returned to active duty following a stay at the hospital brought on by an encounter that he couldn't explain. He guessed that there must have been some rational explanation for a lady exploding into a shower of insects. Officially, the case had to be written off as an old-fashioned murder-suicide, the kind they have in the suburbs of big cities. Kreisenberg was just a sleepy Karua town, though, and these kinds of things just didn't happen here. The case had, for obvious reasons, attracted the attention of the South African police service, and they wasted no time in sending Yaki an email asking what happened. The big-time cops never made the journey out to Kreisenberg, and Yaki couldn't blame them. Nothing ever happened here, aside from the odd, exploding woman. Yaki was back at work. He had taken to smoking marijuana in the parking lot of the station to cope with the images stuck in his head. The Dacha helped to calm his nerves and stop the trembling in his hands, but it did nothing to dampen his memories of that night with the swarm. Kreisenberg was back to its sleepy self, 
apart from a recent infestation that had gripped every home. Oddly shaped black roaches had taken residence in the houses of the town and the exterminator, Swanapul, was making a killing. Yaki's friend Yuhan had told him about the night of the swarm and of how he had pulled Yaki away from the mass of scuttling doom. Yaki hadn't seen much of Yuhan in the intervening weeks as Yuhan had to go to the big city to replenish his stock of dogs. He hadn't been coping well the last time Yaki had seen him. The loss of Wachter had broken him. The Manets were a stain on Yaki's perfect career. Kreisenberg had never needed much policing until they started with that shit. Work seemed to be getting back to normal for a time, and he resolved to put the horror behind him. That was until one fateful Sunday, just before dawn, when his phone's ringing woke him. His head pounded with each ring from his damn phone, and he stumbled out of bed. Fumbling for the phone, he managed to knock it off the nightstand and into the mess of clothes on the floor. He choked out a scream as he crashed to the floor in a sleepy delirium. He dug through the discarded clothes using his good arm while clutching the broken one close to his chest. A single shiny black roach crawled over his hand and revulsion bubbled in his throat. The phone found his dumb hand at last and he swiped to answer. What? Yaki groaned. Constable, a man's voice spoke quietly. My family, they're gone. Yaki's heart sank deep into the pit that had been his stomach. Wait, who is this? It's me, Devet Honakle, from Dungan Street. Where is your family, Devet? They took them away. His voice sounded hollow. They won't be back. Devet, stay where you are, okay? I'm on my way over. The vet hung up and Yaki swore loudly, now fully awake. He scrambled for his uniform and left without pinning on his badge or taking his gun. The badge had proven to be far too complex a task for one hand, and the gun brought back too many memories of that night. Yaki's body moved on autopilot, getting his car keys, opening the door and climbing in. He knew it must have something to do with the bugs, and he also knew that he wouldn't survive another encounter with them. His bucky growled as he set off the headlights cutting a swath of illumination through the pre-dawn haze. Yaki's heart was pounding in his ears as he drew close to Dungan Street. Invisible bugs crawled all over his body and he had to shake himself to get rid of the sensation. Yaki took a deep breath to steady himself and he got out of the car. Birds were chirping as he crunched his way up the gravel path leading to the Hanukkah residence. He sniffed the air, instinctively searching for the sense of putrefaction. The only thing he could smell was the lavender growing beside the front door. Yaki braced himself and turned the door handle. The door swung open and Yaki stepped inside. The house was well lit and only the faint smell of lavender lingered in the air. That's a good sign, I think, Yaki muttered under his breath. He walked cautiously through the doorway to his left and stepped into the living room to find the vet Hanakum sitting in a reclining chair. The man had a sagging face with a vacant expression. He sat slumped over his belly, dressed only in cartoon boxer shorts and a green silk bathrobe. The smell of cinnamon seemed to roll off his body as Yaki drew near. Devet? Yaki said softly. No response. He would have looked like a corpse had it not been for the steady rise and fall of his chest. Devet? The man jerked slightly, as if pricked by a needle, and turned his glossy eyes to regard Yaki. You came, he rasped. Where's your family, Devet? Yaki demanded, relieved that this seemed to be a normal case and feeling ashamed of that relief. 
family, he whispered as his gaze drifted to regard the rug under the glass coffee table. They aren't here. What's going on, Devet? Did your wife leave? Yes. Why did she leave? Yaki's shame turned to annoyance. They took her. The way he said it made the hair on the back of Yaki's neck stand on end, and he had to look behind him to get rid of the uneasy sensation. Devet, buddy, you have to help me here. Who are they, and where did they take your wife? Devet smiled faintly. They aren't from here. They won't bring her back. Yaki was getting sick of this, and he got the sense that Devet might be deranged. He had to search the house. Devet, I'm going to need you to stand up for me, he said, slowly approaching the recliner, the smell of cinnamon growing to a sickening pungency. The seated man rose, swaying slightly as if sleepwalking. Yaki took hold of the back of his robe, painfully aware now of his lack of handcuffs and firearms. Let's go have a look at your house, okay? The vet nodded, shuffled his way to the sliding door on the opposite side of the room and tugged it open. The kitchen was pristine. Not a single utensil or appliance had a speck of dust on it. It unsettled Yaki greatly. He knew that the Hanukoms had three children and this wasn't the kitchen of a bustling family. Where are your kids, Devet? The man trembled and shuffled through the kitchen, leading Yaki into the hallway. Yaki followed him through the hallway, past the entrance to the living room and up a single flight of stairs. Every second stair creaked, the sound echoing in Yaki's eardrums, tickling his ears. He rubbed absently at his ears with his palm as, as they summited the stairs. The vet stopped. They stood in the middle of a short hallway with four doors, two to its side. Which rooms are they in? Yaki demanded. They aren't. Christ, the vet, what the hell is wrong with you? Yaki spun the man around. You want drugs? The vet's eyes settled on Yaki's. He saw something behind those eyes, a sort of moving darkness, a shifting curtain. The smell coming from him made Yaki's throat burn and eyes water. No drugs, the vet creaked stare unbroken. I couldn't help them, Yaki. We can't stop them. Who the hell is them? Yaki barked. The vet's head cocked up until his neck bent backwards at a 90 degree angle. Them, he said, raising his arm to point straight up. Yaki followed the vet's gaze to the ceiling and saw nothing but the pure white. Are you trying to tell me there are people in your roof? The vet's head snapped down and his eyes latched onto Yaki's once more. No, they aren't from here. Fucking aliens? Yes. Yaki sighed. If there weren't four people missing, he might have laughed. The people of Kreisenberg had an unshakable belief in aliens, and he received several dozen reports of UFO sightings every month. He had never seen a UFO. Not for lack of trying, as he and Johan used to spend whole evening sitting on his lawn waiting to see something. They never saw anything, and he had yet to be convinced. Silence hung heavy between the two men as they stood regarding one another, Yaki contemplating whether the doughy 40-year-old was capable of murdering his family and the vet's eyes dark and blank. Fine, whatever, Yaki sighed. At least it was an exploding woman. They will come again. Later. Your family? No. Them. He pointed at the roof again. Sure thing, Devet. Let's take a look at the rooms. You can tell me all about the little green man at the station later. 
Yaki pushed the bed along, deciding to take the rooms from left to right. He walked the man to the last door on the left. They aren't little or green, the vet moaned as he dragged his feet along the carpet. Yaki ignored him and opened the door. Inside he saw the master bedroom, bed made up. There was no sign of anyone in there so he turned to open the next door. Beyond the door he saw a baby's cot, pushed up to the corner near the window but no baby in sight. They aren't here, the vet grunted as Yaki pushed him past the baby's room to the next door down the hall. I still have to check, right? The vet didn't respond as Yaki opened the third door to reveal what must be the children's bathroom. Various rubber animals lay scattered about the tub and there was an overflowing washing basket next to the sink. Yaki pushed the unresponsive man to the last door, a knot forming in his stomach and sweat beating on his brow. He licked his lips and turned the doorknob. The door swung open to reveal an extremely messy room. Toys and clothes lay scattered all over the room, but there was no sign of the Hanakum family. God damn it, fine, Yaki swore with relief. He grabbed the vet by the back of his robe once more and dragged him down the stairs and out of the house. The sun cast the sky in an odd pink as they got into Yaki's bucky and drove to the police station. The bucky growled twice as Yaki pulled the keys from the ignition. The vet had been staring up at the sky throughout the 10 minute drive. Yaki got out, walked around and opened the vet's door. The man almost fell from the car as the door moved and Yaki realized that he must have been sleeping. The vet pulled himself out of the car and walked shakily to the door of the police station. Yaki closed the Bucky's door and rushed to get to the station before the vet. Hold up there, the vet, Yaki grunted as he jogged over, every heaving step jolting his cast. The vet stopped and stood swaying in the early morning Karua breeze. He looked like he had fallen asleep. Yaki unlocked the door and dragged the sluggish man into the station, shoving him into the singular jail cell. The vet smacked his knees on the edge of the cot and sank down onto the hard bed. All right, the vet, let's get this straight. The vet was snoring softly on the cot, lying face down, legs off the bed and knees resting on the floor. Fucking townies, Yaki swore as he slammed the cell door shut. The whole frame of the cage vibrated from the impact, but the prone man failed to react. He must be exhausted, Yaki noted as he locked the cell and stumbled over to the coffee maker. There was about a cup's worth still left in the pot and he decided to forgo the cup and drain the cold coffee down his throat. Yaki left the station fuming. He would stop at home to finish getting dressed before checking the vet's place out. Hopefully the fool would be more cooperative after a couple of hours of sleep. The drive to his house was short and he could see people starting to go about their business. He would have to let the mayor know soon, a call he was particularly dreading considering the way the mayor had gone off following Yaki's release from hospital. Mayor Clay was not a forgiving man. He had seen the events at the Monet house as a failure of his government, and this was an easy failure to pin on Yaki. The press, as in the Kreisenberg Kreis, had been quick to publish an article on Yaki's failure to stop this tragically preventable crime. Yaki pulled up at his house, his anger slowly building to a seething ocean as he recalled the way he had been scapegoated for something that was clearly not a simple crime. He took a deep breath and exhaled slowly trying to release the tension building in his shoulders. His gun and handcuffs were on the coffee table in the living room. Yaki's stomach turned as he strapped his gun belt around his shoulders, the weight reminding him of the gun he had lost in the Monet house. The house itself had quickly been demolished by the mayor after he legally bought the land, of course. 
Mayor Clay just happened to be the richest man in Kreisenberg, as well as the mayor, owning the only mine in the area and employing many of the residents. Yaki had taken a bribe or two from Clay to turn a blind eye on some transport code violations in the past, but only because he hadn't been aware of any violations. Yaki eyed his pipe longingly before tearing himself away and leaving the house. He would have to be sober for this investigation. There was no escaping the reality of the missing family anyway. The door clicked behind him as he left the house and headed for his bucky. There had to be a simple explanation for the family's disappearance. He only hoped they were still alive. Cool air brushed his face as he drove to what he now considered the crime scene and dark thoughts of murder swam through his mind. The vet's house loomed dark and empty before him as he parked the bucky and approached on foot. Yaki, how's it? The voice made him flinch. He turned to see the vet's neighbor, the pastor, Jacob Kiel, who notably used to be the neighbor of the Monet family. Kiel was the nosy sort and an incorrigible gossip. He was a short, mousy man, his body soft and plump and his choice of attire old-fashioned. Hello Kiel, how are you this morning? You know, I'm keeping my life simple, staying out of trouble. Sure, sure. Hey Kiel, did you hear any strange noises last night? The pastor looked puzzled. Noises? I guess not, Yaki turned to leave, knowing fully that the pastor of Kreisenberg would make this conversation as dramatic as possible. There was one thing, Kill called after him. Yaki stopped, smiled to himself and turned back to face Kill, carefully hiding his smile. Every conversation was a game to the pastor. Last night at around 3 in the morning I woke up from a strange sound, the pastor said. It was like a whirring fan belt, but maybe like a truck. So it was a car or some sort of vehicle idling? No, no. More like a fan belt whirring on its own, almost like a whooshing noise. Did you see anything? Kiel shook his head. Didn't feel like getting up, so I just tried to go back to sleep. The same noise has been waking me every night this week. All week? Did you check it out at any point? I did once, but I couldn't see anything except for some flashing lights coming from the Hanukkah place. So the lights were flickering in the house? No, more like red and green flashes that jumped from room to room. I assume it was one of the kids playing with a toy or something. Thanks, Gil. Anything else? That's all I saw, Yaki. Nothing ever happens on Dingaan Street, so I didn't pay too much attention. The Hanukkums. Are they okay? They're in my flock. Yaki was silent for a moment. He knew that by telling Gil, he would be essentially telling the whole town. But it could be useful to get the word out. The Hanukkah family has gone missing. I have the vet in custody until I can find them. Any information that you have concerning their behavior or what happened last night would be helpful. Kiel's eyes widened. I will pray for their safe return, and I'll let you know if I remember anything. You do that. Yaki turned to the house again and said over his shoulder, Thanks for your time, Jacob. Anytime, constable, the pastor added cheerfully. He was probably already texting it up. The Hanukkums had been local fixtures for as long as Yaki could recall. The vet's parents had lived in the same house while they were growing up. Yaki hadn't exactly been friends with the vet, but they had known each other from school. He had always been the perfect Afrikaans boy, playing rugby for the first team and getting good grades, while Yaki spent his time reading comics and bunking school. Yaki's footsteps echoed through the empty house as he walked down the passage going past the living room and to the kitchen. 
The faint smell of cinnamon still hung in the air. He would start with the backyard and work his way back out to his bucky. He opened the conspicuously unlocked back door. The backyard was a 10 by 10 square plot surrounded by wooden palisades. The yard was similarly devoid of signs of habitation. No toys, nothing but grass and a braai. There was a stack of plastic chairs next to the door. Yucky strolled through his garden, keeping his eyes on the ground in search of any signs of disturbed earth. He found a large indentation right in the center of the yard, about three meters in diameter. The air smelled strangely of sulfur when he stepped into the circular indentation. The smell disappeared just outside the circle. Gas leak? Sinkhole? He wondered. Either way, it didn't help explain where the family had gone. Yaki stood in the indentation and looked around the yard. There was nothing out of place. Not a single trace of habitation. Fuck if I know, he muttered as he trudged back to the house, mentally noting that he would have to call someone to check out the odd smell. The Karua had many pockets of natural gas. Maybe there had been a gas leak. That would explain Devet's odd behavior. He went back inside and noted that the interior of the house seemed darker somehow than when he had left it. The hair on the back of his neck stood on end. The air hummed with electricity and the smell of cinnamon now competed with the faint smell of decay. Yaki drew his gun. The weight of it, a familiar sensation in the suddenly strange house. He took a right, entering the kitchen, but stopped in the doorway. The previously pristine kitchen had transformed while he was away. Rotting food littered the counters and the fridge stood open, a pool of rancid water spreading out around it. Black mold grew on the walls and furniture. What the fuck? He choked out as his stomach turned. The scene brought the memory of the Monet house rushing back to him and he ran outside through the back door. He was breathing heavily, sweat beating on his brow. Shit, shit, shit. Panic was clawing its way through his throat and he wanted to scream. Yaki shook his head and forced himself to take deep, slow breaths. He knew that he would have to go back inside. He was the only person in town who could do it. The electric hum followed him outside, growing louder. The buzzing vibrated his teeth and made his ears itch. He covered his ears and squatted down to stop from falling over as dizziness took hold. Bright white light flashed behind his closed eyes. Yucky was about to scream when the maddening buzz stopped, disappearing as quickly as it came. He sat there for a while looking around hands cautiously moving away from his ears as he strained to hear the noise. Nothing. He stood back up and shivered in the morning sun, wondering if this was what losing your mind feels like as he took in his surroundings. The yard was unchanged, and the door leading to the house had swung shut behind him. Dogs barked in the distance as Yucky wiped his face on his sleeve. He felt dirty, stained by what he had seen. Yucky's heart pounded ice through his veins as he opened the door to the house once more. All was quiet as he crept inside, no buzz, and the only smell in the air was the faint cinnamon. The fuck is going on? He whispered, the sound of it tiny against the mounting silence. He peeked into the kitchen, pristine. Do I have PTSD? He thought as he walked through the kitchen and into the living room. The house was as clean as ever and he marched through the downstairs area. Yaki sighed as he got to the stairs. The house was empty and he was just imagining things. He stepped onto the stairs and nearly collapsed as a wave of sonic pressure hit him. The sound was practically inaudible but he could feel his eyes shaking and his thoughts became jumbled. It felt as if his brain was being shaken. Landing on the carpet at the foot of the stairs, the sound was gone as suddenly as it came and he was left trembling on the ground.
There were many emotions fighting for dominance as he gathered his scattered thoughts. Fear won. Yaki could feel his earlier scream welling up in his throat as his vision swam with potential tears. This was no ordinary case, he thought. He shouldn't have become involved. He wanted nothing more than to run far away from the house, to leave Kreisenbach and flee the country. The taste of iron lay hot in his mouth as he slowly got to his feet. A new emotion fought to push the fear aside. Fuck you! He yelled at the empty house. Yaki growled and stepped onto the stairs again. No effect. He took another step. Nothing. He kept going, taking one cautious step, off, step after another, ears straining for the first sign of oral assault. The smell of cinnamon growing more intense as he ascended. Nothing. He got to the top of the stairs. His skin felt cold as he looked back down the stairs. Nothing. Yeah, don't fuck with me. The house didn't respond. Yaki wiped the sweat from his face as he went to the master bedroom. The bed was made and the Hanukkah couple's pajamas lay neatly folded underneath their pillows. He checked under the bed and found nothing but a few dust bunnies. The dresser held no clues either. The same went for the drawers and cupboards. Nothing out of the ordinary. He checked the ensuite bathroom but found nothing but the usual appliances. The baby's room was next. It was neat and devoid of clues as well. This might turn out to be a useless search, thought, as he entered the children's bathroom. He spotted a small red stain on the floor by the toilet, and upon closer inspection, he saw that it was blood. His fingers smeared the blood as he poked at it. Fresh blood. Where did you come from? He whispered as he looked around. Yaki felt something drop onto his shoulder. It was blood. He turned his eyes up to see a patch of blood leaking through the ceiling. Shit. He sprang to his feet and ran back into the hall, scanning the ceiling for an access. There were none in the hall, so he started checking the rooms, his heart drumming hard. He finally spotted it in the baby's room, and he ran inside, pushing the cot under the access flap. Yaki got onto the cot and pushed the flap away from the access, sticking his head up into the attic space. The cot rocked underneath him as he fumbled for his phone, holding onto the ceiling with his broken arm. He finally got it out and turned on the flashlight function. Bright light flooded the musty air of the attic and revealed the lumpy shape that corresponded with the blood from the bathroom. Yaki had to get up there, but without the use of his arm he couldn't hoist himself up. He climbed down from the cot and scanned the room for bigger furniture. The dresser looked promising, so he kicked the cot over before using his hips to shove the dresser under the opening. His arm felt heavy and useless in its cast as he clambered up and stuck his torso into the darkness of the attic. His eyes strained to adjust as he wormed his way into the darkness, the light from his phone captive in his pocket. He could taste dust in the air as he settled onto a support beam, sitting with his legs dangling through the hole. The phone's light burst out from his pocket once more as he pulled it out and aimed it at the lump. The shape seemed to be made of a pile of rags. Yaki lifted his legs and scooted his way over to the rags. Black beetles scattered as he advanced on the bloody pile. He stopped about one meter from the shape and aimed his light at it once again. It was moving. The pile of rags was no larger than a small dog, and it writhed like a spasmodic muscle. Yaki was reminded of undulating ripples that crossed Mrs. Monet's body before the swarm. He had to fight back the animal panic and as he pulled the rags away from the bloody shape underneath. His fear turned to revulsion as the shape of a dead cat emerged. It had been flayed, the skin nowhere to be seen and the flesh writhing with black beetles. He turned away and puked into the dust of the attic. The beetles rushed over to his vomit and started gobbling it as soon as he stopped retching. 
Yaki moaned in protest as he crawled desperately for the hole in the ceiling where he could see the light pouring in. The smell of cinnamon overpowered all other scents in the attic. He was close to the exit as he became aware of a dark figure watching him from beyond the opening, and he froze. His heart skipped several beats and his eyes stretched wide as he tried to identify the figure. The shape moved towards him, sliding slowly through the shadows and emerging into the light. Massive black eyes looked at him from a bulbous head. The figure had no nose and only a small mouth broke the smooth mottled grey of the thing's face. Yaki's mind raced as he fought his desire to turn and run from the creature in front of him and the beetles behind him. The buzzing noise slammed into his ears again as the, as the creature opened its mouth, driving all cogent thought from his mind. His vision was growing dim as his breathing slowed. The thing poured through the darkness like oil, seeping over the support beams and stopping right above Yaki's trembling body. He had collapsed, but he didn't know when. Those eyes swallowed his consciousness and he was lost in the void they contained. There was an intense flash of white light that blew away any sense of coherence from his thoughts. And that's uh, that's where I'm going to leave it. Okay, spooky stuff. Uh, if you enjoyed that, please go check out the full version on uh, the website. We've got the link to the website on the Facebook page. Uh, I'll also share it yeah. on Twitter. We're still working on getting a dedicated domain name. Yeah. As we are a non-profit production. <laughs> An anti-profit production. Yes. Considering the technical <laughs> difficulties we've been having. Yeah. Okay, great. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, let us know what you thought. Would you like to hear some more short stories? Maybe in the off weeks? Uh, let us know. Yep. Uh, we could definitely organize something like that. Uh, Louis, of course, is also a writer. Yeah. And we've got some content. If you want to hear more from yeah, us. Yeah, we're... Bona fide content creators. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, I guess <clears throat> in closing, we can just tell we can just tell our listeners a little bit about demons and what we thought about it and why we don't feel like... No. No, that episode's over now. It's gone. It's in the past. Let it go. Okay. So basically, we hated it. It wasn't it great. It wasn't super great. <laughs> um, so yeah, I apologize if you watched it, but I also don't apologize. I immediately retract my apology uh, because <laughs> you should watch more movies anyway. Yeah, I mean, there are better movies to there watch. There are better movies to watch, like anything by Neil Breen. Those are the only movies you should watch. Yeah, because if you watch one, you'll never be able to watch a normal movie again in your whole life. Uh, I can't. Yeah. It does have that I effect. I can testify to this fact. A test. I don't know. I can do a thing. I can tell you that this is true. <laughs> I don't know how words work. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. I think we've burnt Fraser out for yes, today. We have. Thank you very much for listening. Tune in next time for a normal episode. Yep. I have been Louie. And I will still be Fraser. And this has been... Be positive. As always, you stay scary. Put the spooky bones in the big hole. That was a good one. Oh, man. Thank oh, you. Man. I'm so sick of having to record on devices. Why can't I just tell people things? Sure. Why can't I just... <laughs>
why can't people phone me and then just talk to me about it and then not like the podcast?